As a chef, I find that there are endless possibilities for creating a delicious meal, but the real challenge for me has always been finding ways to make amazing meals while also being very health conscious. And even more challenging is carving out the time after a busy day to slow down and cook a good meal. That's where Blue Apron comes in. Blue Apron is a meal kit service that delivers right to your door with all the ingredients and instructions you need to make a satisfying, healthy meal at home. So you can skip the grocery store run this time. I've partnered with Blue Apron to create an exclusive menu based around lean proteins, whole grains, minimal dairy, and tons of flavor-packed produce. Choose from a variety of chef-designed, ready-to-cook meals that range from plant-forward to vegetarian, from carb-conscious to Mediterranean. To kick off the new year on the right foot, check out this week's menu and get $60 off when you visit blueapron.com slash goopfellas. That's blueapron.com slash goopfellas. What's up, Seamus? Hey, man. How are you? I'm doing really good. Yeah, your voice is kind of cracking a little bit. Yeah, it's uh, struggling today. It's good to know that you're human. <laughs> Every time... The demigod see, has fallen. Yeah, the, the <laughs> Mr. Health and Wellness actually also succumbs to... Yeah, to I am mortal. Yeah, I am mortal. Exactly. Um, because of today's conversation and us doing research for this mm-hmm. episode, it's about distraction and being indistractable. Yeah. Uh, Hold on, I'm getting a text. <laughs> focused. Yeah. All right. But as a dad, I, I know notice I'm going home. My kids are getting older. They want to like, they want to tell me about their day. They want to do stuff with me. And I'm super thankful for it because they're still young enough to want to hang out with me. Right. And I'm like, I need to be better at this because my mind's still on all the stuff I have to do. You know, I'm sure people out there can relate that maybe even without kids. Yeah, no, I mean, we all do. And what's interesting, and we'll, we'll talk about this, about this a bit more with our, with our guests today, but the idea that we very easily kind of project the responsibility or the blame of being distracted on external factors. Yeah. Oh, our phone is telling us, you know, we, we're getting a notification. Right. We've got to follow the news. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. When in fact, like so much of what's causing us to lose focus or to be distracted yeah. is really um, their internal triggers, internal factors, which is not that different from a lot of the things when we look at when we're talking about health and wellness and we're talking about addiction and all mm-hmm. these other things that seems like they come to the same common root cause. Right. And I'm guilty of the fact of blaming technology for certain things. And it's not that it's nothing. It's an effect. No, it, it definitely it's a symptom. It, it exacerbates things too. I mean, yeah. it also having... The cards are kind of stacked against us, but right. yeah. It's amplified, but it's not the root cause. No, it's amazing. I mean, I was just, you know, being in New York this morning, walking over to the studio, you see this when you're walking down the street, nearly everyone feels any moment. I mean, I was in line at Dig In to have lunch and everybody is on their phone. Mm-hmm. Any moment, um, any empty space we fill with our technology because we are so easily distracted now. Yeah. For everybody that's listening, we get to the root cause of distraction in today's episode uh, because today's guest is none other than Nir Eyal. He is a lecturer, he's an angel investor, and the author of the book, Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. So we get into the root cause Mm -hmm. of distraction for anybody that's out there that knows intuitively they have a problem with distraction, they need to hear about the tips and the tools and the root cause of this. Yeah, we're talking about the hidden psychology that drives us towards distraction, and most importantly, how we can squash it uh, so we can become the most productive version of ourselves. All right, let's get to our guest, Nir Ayal. Nir Ayal, thank you for being on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. So you're teaching us to be indistractable. I need that. The world (laughs) needs that right now. Can you kind of 
start off with telling everybody what the book's about and we'll dig into it. Yeah, I, I, and this is a book that I wrote first and foremost for me. I mean, I had a you serious problem. Bastard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the only kind of books I write. I uh-huh. write a book when I've read other books on the topic. Yeah. They don't solve my problem. Mm-hmm. And so my only choice is to dig into the topic, research, and write for myself so I can fix an issue that I'm facing. And for me, this problem of distraction was large and in charge. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember five years ago, uh, my first book was published, and I was sitting with my daughter uh, one afternoon, and we had this beautiful afternoon plan, just daddy-daughter time, and we had this book of activities that daddies and daughters could play together. Mm. And one of the activities in the book was to ask each other this question. If you could have any superpower, what superpower would you want? And I remember the question verbatim, but I can't tell you what she said, because in that moment, <laughs> something on my phone got my attention, attention yeah. Yeah. some email or something on social media, some ping or ding caught my attention. And I said, well, wait one second, honey, I just got to do this one thing. Yeah. She got the message that whatever was on my phone was more important than she was. She left the room. And by the time I left, uh, looked up from my phone, she was gone. Mm-hmm. I blew it. And so that's when I really decided to reconsider my relationship with technology um. and distraction specifically. Thinking originally that technology was the source of the problem, yeah. uh, I got rid of, of my uh, iPhone. I bought a, a, a flip phone with no apps. Mm-hmm. I bought a, uh, a, a word processor with no internet connection from the 1990s. They don't even make them anymore. And I thought, okay, I got rid of the technology. That's the problem. That's who's to blame. Yeah. I'm not going to get distracted anymore. And of course, that didn't fix the problem at all. Mm-hmm. That in fact, uh, I kept getting distracted. I would say, okay, let me just clean up my desk or let me just uh, take out the trash or, oh, there's that book I've been meaning to, to read a little bit into. And I kept getting distracted, which is where I figured out, you know what? I really have to dive deep into this mm-hmm. because if everybody's telling you that the source of the problem is distraction and here I am, I'm trying, you know, mm-hmm. the 30-day digital mm-hmm. detoxes, the all these crazy plans that just don't work, there right. has to be something deeper going on. And right. so that's what Indistractable is all about. Uh-huh. It's about helping you live with intent about helping you live with personal integrity doing whatever it is you say you want to do with your right. time and yeah. you get to the root cause of distraction in the book because i thought i thought the same thing on the superficial side like it's the technology it's just the technology that's the root cause but you say in the book very eloquently you said the drive to relieve discomfort is the root cause of all behavior everything else is a proximate cause right can you explain that a little bit sure so let me back up just a little bit here to um to kind of explain what I mean by distraction. So the best way to understand distraction is to understand what is the opposite of distraction. So if you ask most people, what's the opposite of distraction? They'll tell you focus. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that's true. That in fact, the opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of distraction is traction. That Mm. both words come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull. And they both end in the same six letters, A-C-T-I-O-N, that spells action. So traction is any action that pulls you towards what you want to do. The opposite of traction is distraction, anything that pulls you away from what you plan to do. So this is really important for two reasons. Number one, anything can be a distraction. So how many times have you sat down at your desk and you said, okay, now I'm gonna work on that big project, I'm gonna stay focused, I'm not gonna get distracted, here I go, I'm gonna do that thing I've been procrastinating on right after I check email. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right after I check that Slack channel, right after I do that one thing on my to-do list that's kind of easy to tick off. And what we've allowed to happen in that circumstance is that we've allowed distraction to trick us. Distraction loves to trick us. It loves to make us think that what we're doing is what we really want to do. And later, of course, we regret it. Mm-hmm. It's not something we did with intent. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that checking that email when you plan to work on that big project is a more sinister form of distraction than going on YouTube or uh, opening up a Facebook group or whatever. 
when you play Candy Crush or Facebook or whatever, that's a clear distraction. That's right, obvious. Right. But when you're checking email, you say, oh, that feels productive. You're that's convincing something. yourself that you're yeah. doing something worthwhile. Yeah. Exactly. And so what you're allowing distraction to do is to trick you into prioritizing the urgent at the expense of the important. Mm-hmm. And that is cancer for your productivity, for yeah. your well-being, for your health and happiness, letting distraction trick you. So anything can be a distraction. And conversely, anything can be traction. Mm-hmm. That there's nothing wrong with any of these technologies. There's nothing wrong with Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or YouTube. They're fine. They're not melting your brain. It's a bunch of rubbish. If you want to play a video game, if you want to watch Netflix, if you want to listen to a podcast, that's great. But do it on your schedule, right. not on somebody else's schedule. Don't let it own you. Exactly. Yeah. Now you are turning it into traction. Right. So you've got traction. You've got distraction. Now what prompts us to these actions? One thing. Triggers. Mm-hmm. Triggers come in two flavors. We have external triggers and we have what's called internal triggers. External triggers is what people tend to blame on distraction, right? It's the pings, the dings, the rings, all of these things in our outside environment mm-hmm. that lead us towards traction or distraction. There's a lot of things we can do to hack back those external triggers, sure. which we can talk about later. But the root cause of the problem, the real source of distraction is not the external triggers. Mm-hmm. It's not what's happening outside of us. What I discovered in my five years of research is that as much as we like to blame that stuff in the world around us, the real cause of the problem is what is going on inside of us. Mm-hmm, sure. It's the internal triggers. So if we want to answer this question of why do we get distracted, we actually have to go a layer deeper. To, to first principles to understand not only why do we get distracted, but why do we do anything and everything. Mm-hmm. And if you ask most people what's the nature of human motivation, they'll give you some version of carrots and sticks, mm-hmm. that everything we do is about the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance, the avoidance of, pain. of pain. This yeah. is called Freud's pleasure principle. Unfortunately, it's not true. Right. <laughs> that neurologically speaking, we do not do things because of the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain. In fact, what is going on in the brain and what, and what really is the root cause of, or the, the seat of motivation is all pain. Mm-hmm. Everything we do, we do for one reason, and that is the desire to escape discomfort. Right. Even the pursuit of pleasurable sensations, wanting, craving, lusting, desire. There's a reason we say love hurts. All of it is about the, the, the relief of discomfort. So physiologically, we know this to be true, right? If you go outside and it's too cold, your body says, oh, that's not comfortable, put on a coat. If you go back inside now, it's too hot, you take it off. If you're hungry, you feel hunger pangs, your body tells you to eat. And if you eat too much, oh, that doesn't feel good, you stop eating. This is called the homeostatic response. Mm -hmm. So clearly, physiologically, everything we do is about desire to escape discomfort. The same rule applies psychologically. When you're feeling lonely, Facebook. Mm -hmm. When you're feeling uncertain, Google. When you're feeling bored, ESPN, stock prices, the news, Reddit, Pinterest, all of these things cater Mm -hmm. to these uncomfortable sensations. Mm -hmm. So what this means, therefore, the conclusion here is, if all human behavior is prompted by a desire to escape discomfort, that means, therefore, that time management is pain management. Mm -hmm. That fundamentally, if we don't understand this greater truth, that everything we do is for a desire to escape discomfort, I don't care what guru's techniques you're following, what productivity book you read, what life hack you're using, none of it works unless you fundamentally understand the root cause of what internal trigger, what psychological state you are looking to escape from. And so that's the first step to becoming indistractable Mm -hmm. is to master these internal triggers. Got it. 
Wow. Yeah. And you, uh, something on that note, you talk about these psychological nutrients, mm. which I really love. I'm in functional medicine and health and wellness. And you talk about just like we need macronutrients, proteins, fats, and carbs, we have these psychological nutrients, uh, which are autonomy, competent, competence, relatedness. So these three these three nutrients that we need psychologically. Mm-hmm. And you say that that distraction satisfies that deficiency, which I thought was poignant for myself, but as, my, as a dad too, mm. like seeing that in my kids. Can you kind of expound on that? Yeah, sure. So that so that comes from the section about how to raise indistractable kids. Mm-hmm. And this I thought was a very important section of the book, J- just to kind of give you an overview of the book. So there are four parts to becoming indistractable. Master internal triggers, which we've just talked about a little bit. Um, make time for traction, hack back external triggers, mm-hmm. and prevent distraction with packs. Those are the four strategies mm-hmm. in order yeah. to become indistractable. So that's about half the book. The second half of the book is about things in our environment. It's not just about us. It's about the context that we operate in. So for example, the workplace. How do you mm-hmm. build an indistractable workplace? How do you have indistractable relationships? How do you be an indistractable lover? And how do you raise indistractable kids? And I think that section of the book is incredibly important because you know, if you think the world is distracting now, <laughs> just it's wait a few worse, years. Yeah. yeah, it's not gonna. It's not become less distracting. It's gonna become more distracting as yeah. the as technology becomes more pervasive and persuasive. It's only gonna become more distracting. So it's imperative that we raise indistractable kids. I mean, this is the skill of the century. They have got to learn how to be able to do whatever it is they say they're going to do, mm-hmm. or else somebody else is gonna decide how they spend their time, their attention, and their life. Mm-hmm. And so, what I argue in the book is that. The technology today that we blame uh, for distracting our kids is just the proximal cause. It's not the root cause. And it's nothing new. Parents have been blaming one thing or another. <laughs> right. Right? In yeah, our generation... Tele- television was, was going to melt your mind. Yeah. And, yeah. For yeah. us, it was Super Mario Brothers right. and Dungeons and Dragons and yeah. rap music. And like, you know, all these things were supposed to, you know, melt our minds and make us, uh, mm-hmm. you know, have short attention spans and none of it actually panned out. Now, there's the latest moral panic is around social media or whatever. And... I argue that, again, those are symptoms of the disease. The real disease is that children today are deficient in these three psychological nutrients. So just as you said, you know, we have carbohydrates, fat, and protein are our macronutrients for our bodies. Self-determination theory, which I didn't make up. Self-determination theory is this 40-year-old theory of human flourishing and well-being. Every psychologist on the face of the earth knows it. It's the most widely accepted theory of human well-being and flourishing. Desi and Ryan, these researchers, did this back in the 1970s. And it basically says that all human beings on the face of the earth, we need three things to to flourish. We need a sense of competency, autonomy, and relatedness. And I argue that children today are deficient in these three things. And so this is called the needs displacement hypothesis, that when you don't get enough of something in the real world, you look for it in the virtual world. Mm -hmm. So competency. So one of the things that we've seen, along with the rise of, of cell phones, is the rise of standardized testing. So around 2006, 2007, No Child Left Behind, Common Core, children today are tested and taught towards the test like never before. And so we have a segment of children who are told time and again that they are not competent. And so what do you do if you don't feel competent in the real world? Well, you go look for that competency online, right? Minecraft makes you feel like a god. You feel (laughs) competent. And so it's it's a big draw. Autonomy. We know that this is the most regulated generation in history. That children today, studies have found, have 10 times as many rules imposed upon them as an adult, twice as many rules on children today as a convicted felon. Wow. 
Hmm. There is no place in society where you can tell people where to go, what to think, what to eat, who to be friends with, how to, how to dress, other than school and prison. And so when kids come home, is it any surprise? They want autonomy. They want agency. It is necessary for their psychological flourishing. And so where do they find it? Well, they go online, yeah. right? They feel like gods of these online universes. It feels good to have freedom. Couple that with the fact that today, this is the most scheduled generation in history. So it used to be when we were kids, we would come home, 3 o'clock after school, we just hang out. We just play. Well, today, if you have means, if you have the money, you send your kid to Kumon, to test prep, to Chinese lessons, to swimming, to ballet, to soccer practice, they have no time for free play. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so that leads us to the third part that's missing in their lives, relatedness. That there has been a collapse in the amount of time that kids have for free play. And according to the work of Peter Gray, this is the most important thing you mm -hmm. can do for your kids' psychological well-being, is to just let them play. Yeah. But we don't give them that time anymore. Right. You know, the media has told us all that, that, that kids are not safe on the streets, that we should keep our kids inside because of stranger danger. It's complete yeah. rubbish. Sure. It's the safest time in mm -hmm. history to be a kid in this country. But that's what people do. They're so scared they keep right. their kids indoors. And so right. what do we expect? If they're not hanging out with their friends, where are they getting this psychological nourishment of relatedness? Right. So well, how, how do we TikTok reverse? TikTok and, yeah. and Facebook, that's where they get this nourishment. How do we reverse engineer this then? Yeah, so we, we build indistractable kids. We help our kids fulfill what's missing in their life. And so one of the best things you can do for your kids is to schedule time for play. Mm -hmm. And so that gets to the second step to becoming indistractable is to make time for traction. Remember we talked about traction versus distraction. Mm -hmm. So I think that today we have to plan that time for anything that's one of our values, whether it's as an adult. What I tell people to do in the book is to turn your values into time. Yeah. I should be able to look at your schedule for the week ahead and know what your values are. If you value your physical health, do you have time scheduled for a workout, mm -hmm. a walk, uh, meditation, prayer, whatever it is that's important to you, is that time on your schedule? For our kids, that starts with making sure that just like we plan the time for the ballet lessons and the Boy Scouts and the soccer practice, yeah. do we have time for free play? That is mm -hmm. absolutely critical because the reason this is so important is it's one thing if an adult or a coach or a teacher tells you what to do right? Mm -hmm. It's a whole nother story when one of your peers says to you, hey, if you act like a jerk, I'm not going to play with you, right? Yeah. Play is where we learn our place in the world. What I'm, I'm curious, how do you deal with it? It requires a cultural shift too, because yeah. I know personally, when I do schedule time for myself for play, for instance, because I think it's important for adults to do that as well, I often end up in this state of paranoia that, oh shit, there's something else I should be doing. Yeah. I'm shirking my responsibilities. I can feel the emails building up. Right. I know text messages are coming in. And, and not actually being able to capitalize on that moment of, de of decompression, that moment of being yeah. indistractable. This is called the tyranny of the to-do list. Yeah. Mm. And for decades now, in the self-help productivity community, we've been told that to-do lists is the answer for everything. Yeah. This is how we get things done. Yeah. And I would argue that for most people, to-do lists are destroying your life. Yeah, they're adding to the distraction. There are many ways they add to the distraction. Sure. Here's why. Here's what happens. And, then, and again, I speak from personal experience. I would mm -hmm. have this to-do list. 50% of what was on the to-do list on a good day would get recycled from one day to the next, to the <laughs> right, next, to right. the next, right? You've all, totally. everybody's been there. Yeah. What that is doing is reinforcing your identity as someone who doesn't do what they said they're going to do. Right. Kicking the can. Exactly. Yeah. And so you're reinforcing at the end of every day, you see, another day I said I was going to do stuff, and I didn't do what I said I'm going to do. And over time, you begin to believe this message. You reinforce your self-image. 
that you can't get stuff done. That's just who you are. Mm -hmm. And that is so very toxic. So we need to free ourselves from the tyranny of the to-do list. What we need mm -hmm. to do instead is to use time boxing. Time boxing says that we are going to plan out our time, plan out our day down to the minute, right? That's a new practice from this to-do list practice. The reason that is so much more effective is because we need to make the goal, not the output. It's not, I need to finish this project, right? Because you can't control that. Humans mm -hmm. are terrible. Study after study have found we are horrible at predicting how long something will take us to do. And many times it's outside of our control, right? Mm -hmm. Because uh, Jimmy owes you the numbers for that big report and Janice needs to get you the graphics and all this stuff is outside of our control. We can't always predict when we will be done with something. What we can predict is how much time we spend on something. Mm -hmm. We control the input, not the output. So as opposed to a to-do list, which we never finish and we always feel crappy about, we tell ourselves the only goal, the only goal is to work on a task for as long as we said we would without distraction. Mm -hmm. So therefore, when we get to the end of that time box period, maybe it's 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half, however much time you decided you wanted to spend on a task, you're a winner. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of every time box, you did exactly what you said you're gonna do without distraction. Even, not just for the productive stuff, even for the, the pleasurable stuff. If, you know, for example, uh, every weekend I spend three hours with my daughter, okay? We call this planned spontaneity. It sounds like an oxymoron. <laughs> mm -hmm. We don't know what we're going to do. We're going to yeah. be spontaneous. But I know what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to be checking work email. I'm not going to be checking social media. I'm going to be with my daughter. Three hours without distraction. What we do, whether we go to the park or the museum, that's spontaneity. We'll, we'll decide later on. But I've held that time to just do what I said I'm going mm -hmm. to do, spend time with her. Yeah, so with the time boxing, which you go into detail in the book, how much time boxing do you think we should be doing? Is it our whole waking hours, or what do you suggest there? Yeah, every minute of our day. And the reason this is so important is because it is the only way to know the difference between traction and distraction. If you look at your calendar and you decided in advance, I want to play a video game, that's traction. Mm -hmm. If you dare do work, when you said you were going to play a video game, distraction. that's distraction now. Right. <laughs> and of course, vice versa. Got it. And so that's, that's why this is so important. And it's, it takes a little bit of work up front, maybe 30 minutes to sit down and make a time box counter. Yeah. I'll give you a link for the show notes. I built this free tool. You don't have to sign up for anything completely free that helps you build that time box calendar. You can do this in Outlook or mm -hmm. Google Calendar, whatever. It doesn't really matter. Piece of paper. But that's what's so important about this process is that for every minute of your day, you finally will know the difference between what is traction and distraction. Mm -hmm. Hang tight, we'll be right back. Cooking is my passion, my stress relief, and a huge source of joy, whether shared with loved ones or just me alone at the stove. Blue Apron also believes cooking should be enjoyed, not dreaded, and they believe a healthy lifestyle starts with a balanced relationship with food. I recently got to sit down with the head chef of Blue Apron, Chef John Adler, who's someone I totally admire. We talked about ways to make cooking easier and more interesting for the home chef, and I wanted to share a little piece of our conversation with you today. After you listen to get started with this week's menu and get $60 off your order, visit blueapron.com slash goopfellas. That's blueapron.com slash goopfellas. Okay, let's get to John. Over half our menu takes 30 minutes or less to prepare. So it's not the, uh, it's really not the act in the kitchen. It's the mm -hmm. mental, I am going to plan to cook on this night. And this is something that actually cuts out everything baked into, you know, getting into the kitchen, which is mm -hmm. the shopping and the, and the measuring and everything else. So I think that the, the thing that people, what, what generally what gets in people's way is the planning, not yeah. the act. 
Yeah, it's really funny if you think about it. Okay, so uh, the average Blue Apron recipe takes you, what, 25, 30 minutes to make, more or less, give or take. And the average seamless delivery is going to take you, at, at best, 30 minutes to get. And going out to dinner in a restaurant is probably, at minimum, an hour to an hour and a half experience. So if you kind of reframe it from that perspective, cooking becomes much more quick and much more efficient. And you have, you have control over what you're eating and you have control over your ingredients. And you're, it's, a, it's, um, it's a really interesting way of reframing it and thinking about, well, actually, obviously I have time to cook. Yeah, I think I think that you you know I think when you also when you reframe it and then you bake in the ancillary parts of it. So mm-hmm. there's no part of cooking that's going to replace the act of somebody bringing you a glass of wine and feeling that maybe you're in you know uh, signing up for an elevated hospitality experience in a right. restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, that was something that as chefs, you and I both worked on a lot when we mm-hmm. when we opened our restaurants. Um, so there's that, but. I think that there's the other part of cooking that people don't ever measure, which is that sense of accomplishment, the sense of yeah. satisfaction, the connection that you build either with the person you're cooking with or the person you're cooking for. And I think that that's something that if people I, – I don't know that people can um, quantify the value of that. Uh-huh. But I know that you, we hear from customers, you know, this brings us together at the end of the day or yeah. – we're both so busy, but three nights a week we're committed to each other. And you know, we we heard a you know we've heard some some gut wrenching stories about people using cooking as a way to recover from sickness, loss, you know, heartache, mm-hmm. um, even a way to engage uh, children with with learning or developmental disabilities or delays. And and it's really it's really powerful when you understand that you work in a medium mm-hmm. that creates benefit for people in in really intangible but really meaningful and lasting ways. No, it totally becomes this kind of this this glue or this fabric that holds community together and and becomes a source of joy and I I love that. I love that that notion of creating I mean essentially what you're doing and which is what I makes me such a big fan of blue aprons that you're creating a an environment in which and a system that makes it easier for people to have those experiences. And I think it's great. Thank you. And, and you know, it's it's something that we spend a lot of time on. And I think, you know, we, as a, as a chef, you often hear what isn't on the plate is what's most important, mm-hmm. um, right? Like where do, you, where do you leave your ego out of it and let the ingredient right. speak for itself? And I think one of the most important things as a company is where, what do we not put into the recipe? What do we not guide in the experience mm-hmm. that – where someone can take ownership of it and make it their own and make it something that maybe have a moment to take a step back from and say, I did that. I made that choice. Um, this is just the way I like it. And and really empower empower their control in the kitchen in a way that is that they can that they can carry forward. Okay, let's get back to our conversation with Nirayal. So you talk about getting to the root cause of distraction and you talk about in the book of dealing with that discomfort within. And one of the other tools that I liked was this 10-minute rule mm. I thought was very helpful. Uh, can you tell everybody about the 10-minute rule? Sure. Is? Yeah, so there's many, many tactics around how we can master these internal triggers. One of the tactics comes from acceptance and commitment therapy, and this tactic is called the 10-minute rule. And the 10-minute rule tells us that we can give in to any distraction, any temptation, in just 10 minutes. 
Now, why is this so important? Why don't we just say no? Why don't we do what some tech critics say and say, well, just stop using social media. Just stop eating the bad mm -hmm. food, right? Whatever it might be. Because abstinence doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And abstinence doesn't work specifically. It does work sometimes. I shouldn't be so vague. Abstinence can work for certain things. Where you can remove the external trigger, abstinence can be effective. Mm -hmm. However, how do you remove food if you're on a diet? Mm -hmm. How do you stop using technology if you want to fight distraction? You can't. You need this stuff for your job, right? If you yeah. stop using email, you get fired for most of us. So what do we do instead? We don't use strict absence. By the way, the reason strict absence backfires so much, I'll, I'll, let's run a little experiment here. I'm about to ask you to not do something that you have not done all day long. So how hard can it be, right? You haven't done mm -hmm. this all day. I'm going to ask you to not do it in the next second here. What I want you to do with all your might is to not think about a white bear. What are you thinking about? I'm thinking about Dostoevsky. Polar bear. Dostoevsky. <laughs> Dostoevsky, exactly, yeah. right? You're thinking about nothing but a white bear. And this is why strict absence doesn't work, because right. we ruminate. Yeah. We keep thinking and thinking and thinking about it. And this is why going on one of these silly 30-day digital detoxes doesn't work, mm -hmm. because all we can do is think about how much we want to use the technology. And I, I used to be clinically obese. I used to have this problem with food. I would go on a 30-day no-sugar diet, a 30-day no-carb diet, a 30-day whatever. It never works because mm. I didn't get to the root cause of why I was overeating. I wasn't overeating because I was hungry. I was eating my feelings. Yeah. That's why we overeat. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and so this technique says, okay, I can give in to that temptation. Yeah, I can have that chocolate cake. Yeah, I can go on social media. Yeah, I can check Netflix or whatever it is that I'm trying to avoid doing in just 10 minutes. Now, what do mm. I do for those 10 minutes? For those 10 minutes, your job is to contemplate that sensation, to understand what it is that you are experiencing with curiosity rather than contempt. Hmm. Okay, curiosity rather than contempt. What do I mean by that? When it comes to distraction, people tend to fall into two categories. We have what's called the blamers and the shamers. Mm -hmm. The blamers, they say, oh, it's Facebook, it's the iPhone, it's, this is my favorite, it's this modern world doing it to <laughs> me. That's the source of distraction. Right. Yeah. That doesn't work because you can't do anything about that stuff. You're not going to change Facebook. They're not going anywhere, right? You're not yeah. going to do anything about this stuff. So that technique doesn't work. Then you've got the shamers, the people who say, oh, there's something wrong with me. Yeah, I have no willpower. Yeah, I have no willpower. I have no self-control. I have uh, poor attention span. I'm lazy. We beat ourselves up. That makes things worse because the more we shame ourselves, the worse we feel, the more likely we are to seek escape through the same behavior. More yeah. distraction. Yeah. So we don't want to be blamers. We don't want to be shamers. We want to be what's called a claimer. A claimer claims responsibility for their actions, not for their feelings. You cannot control what you feel. That is outside of your control. What you can do is control how you respond to those feelings. That's where the word responsibility mm -hmm. comes from, mm -hmm. how you respond. Mm -hmm. So a claimer reconfigures their habitual behaviors around how they respond to these sensations. So instead of every time I'm bored, I habitually go on ESPN, or every time I'm lonely, I check Tinder, or whatever it is, that distraction, every mm -hmm. time I'm feeling uh, bad about myself, I eat. Instead of those habitual behaviors, we are now claiming responsibility to change those habitual behaviors into something, a healthier behavior as mm -hmm. opposed to a harmful behavior. So we explore that sensation with curiosity rather than contempt during those 10 minutes. And what you will find is if you just give yourself this rule of, look, I'm going to sit here, I'm going to explore this sensation with curiosity rather than contempt. I'm going to talk to myself the way I would talk to a good friend for just 10 minutes. And I can either sit with that sensation or get back to the task at hand. What you will find is by the time those 10 minutes are up, nine times out of 10, 
you'll be back on that task. Mm -hmm. Because these uncomfortable internal triggers, these uncomfortable emotional states, they crest and then they subside. And so your job is to surf the urge, like a surfer on a surfboard, mm -hmm. until that sensation uh, reduces and you can begin to master it. Mm. So it's almost like, uh, it sounds like almost a form of mindfulness, right? Yeah. Observing with curiosity versus inner resistance and contempt. Right. So that's one, acceptance and commitment therapy has a lot of overlap mm -hmm. with mindfulness. We actually talked about ACT with Judy Ho. Yeah. A couple weeks ago, yeah. yeah. Actually, if we can go back to the yeah. fact that you said you were clinically obese mm -hmm. and you mentioned you were eating your feelings. So I never put the two and two together that a lot of these principles can apply to yeah, food. Yeah, I mean, it, even, even addiction too. You're talking about addiction, and, and as we're talking about external triggers, mm -hmm. and the whole idea you, you cited one study of, of flight attendants from Israel that were flying an eight hour flight versus, or a 12 hour flight versus a three hour flight. Yeah. When they're preparing themselves for understanding the, the amount of time they'd have to be abstinent from smoking, they were okay with it, but immediately that it kicks back in. So these external triggers, and I think it's, it's interesting now to see that and look at where we are culturally. It's, it becomes exponentially more difficult to resist these external triggers because they are so well engineered. I mean, Netflix shows that just within 30 seconds you have the next episode. It's ready for you, you know, primed up, and everything. We're constantly being reminded of everything that we should be doing that we're not doing or that, that external factors are telling that we, that we should be doing. How do we start to, I mean, hack some of that? Yeah. Because I think that that's really important. So yeah. the first step is to not um, believe things that don't serve us. Mm -hmm. And the book is full of, of turning over apple carts. Uh, it's a lot of, there's a lot of folk psychology out there that I, I think really does harm people. Mm -hmm. One of the most prevalent myths out there is this idea uh, in the psychology community, it's called ego depletion. Ego depletion says, and most of us have felt this, that willpower runs out mm -hmm. like gas in a gas tank. That, you know, I would come home from work and I'd say, oh, I am spent. I've got no willpower left. Give me that Ben and Jerry's. I'm going to sit on the couch and watch some Netflix, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. I can't anymore, right? Yeah. Okay, screw that to-do list. I know I wanted to do a bunch of things when I got home today. Ugh, I can't do it. No willpower is left. And many of us believe this. And in fact, there were some studies a few years ago that actually showed that this might be true, that people do run out of, of uh, willpower like gas in a gas tank. But I'm, I don't know if you've been following this replication crisis that's happening in the social psychology community. It sounded too good to be true. So a bunch of other psychologists replicated the study. This is what we do in the scientific community. If a study sounds fishy, we run it again and see if we get the same results. They couldn't find them. They mm -hmm. re-ran these studies, and it turns out that ego depletion most likely is a myth. It doesn't really exist. Except, except in one group of people. That there is one group of people who do actually exhibit ego depletion. This work was done by Carol Dweck. You might have read her book, Mindset, fantastic book. She did this study that found that the only people who really did exhibit ego depletion, who really did run out of willpower like gas in a gas tank, were people who believed yeah. that their willpower was a limited resource. Mm -hmm. That's it. Everybody else didn't exhibit it. So what this tells us is that our belief around our temperament, around our capabilities, is incredibly important. So that study of the flight attendants mm -hmm. who left from Israel versus uh, who left from uh, Tel Aviv Airport to either London or New York, that was a fascinating study because you know here are people who are addicted to cigarettes. Okay, apparently one of the most addictive substances on earth, nicotine, highly addictive. And you would think you know they asked these flight attendants every thirty minutes to rate their level of craving. And so the what, how, what, what would you expect? When would they? When would you expect them to have the highest level of craving? It should be after a given number of hours mm -hmm. after their last cigarette, right? Mm -hmm. Isn't that what you would expect? Yeah. Because nicotine is metabolized in the body, so after a certain amount of time, they need another cigarette, right? Mm -hmm. 
not what happened. Hmm. So even though the flight from Tel Aviv to London was three hours and the flight from Tel Aviv to New York was 10 hours, both sets of flight attendants only experienced the highest level of cravings 30 minutes before landing. When hmm. they knew they were going to be able to smoke again. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And if, if, so what happened? The mindset made it true. Right. It was impossible for them to mm -hmm. smoke in the air. They'd get fired or maybe arrested. Mm -hmm. They could not do it. And I've talked to many smokers after, I, after they read this study in the book. They're like, yeah, actually, that's, that's happened to me. It's not actually so hard. I, could, you know, I, I smoke a pack a day, and yet when I had to take a transcon flight, I was fine because I knew I could not do it. And this is right. with nicotine, guys. Yeah. Yeah. So the thing we need to stop telling ourselves is that technology is addicting everyone. Sure. That is garbage. It is not true. Does it addict some people? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Alcohol mm -hmm. addicts some people. Is everyone who has a beer with dinner addicted? Is, are they an alcoholic? No. Yeah. So stop thinking that mm -hmm. we are. That is the first step. Change our mindset around our temperament, our mm -hmm. limiting beliefs. It is just not true. Yeah. Because the reason that's so dangerous, it's called learned helplessness. Sure. When a parent says, oh, those video games, Fortnite, it's doing it to my kid. There's nothing I can do. So on some other tools that you talk about in the book is, and if you could take us through sort of the steps of how to reimagine the trigger, the task, and our temperament. I thought very helpful for me. So sure. I want people to yeah. know about it. Yeah, so just to place this in context, so there's those four big strategies, master internal triggers, make time for traction, hack back external triggers, and prevent distraction with packs. We've only talked about step one, <laughs> which yeah. is great. I love it. It's the most important step by yeah. far. Yeah. But uh, I just want to give people context that there's yeah, more there's here. Way more than right. Than so, this. but yeah. in in strategy number one of master the internal triggers, there's these three sub tactics, which are uh, reimagine the trigger, reimagine the task, and reimagine your temperament. So, reimagining the trigger is a little bit of what we talked about before. It's about when I feel that sensation, how can I see it differently? So, we talked about the ten minute rule. We talked about a little bit about how we can reimagine. I'll give you another good example. I used to have terrible stage fright, right? I used to, you know, I, I speak for a living now, but when I went on stage, I would feel my, my heart kind of start racing and I would think to myself, oh my gosh, this, I'm so nervous. I'm not going to do very well. I should have prepared more. And I had this whole story that I would ruminate on that made failure more likely because I would focus on why this was sabotaging my performance. Mm -hmm. So what did I do? I reimagined the trigger. So when I got nervous, when I started feeling my heart rate rise, now my story is, ah, you see what's happening? My heart rate is increasing because my body needs to send more oxygen to my brain so that I'm ready to perform at my best. Mm -hmm. So these are some of the techniques we can use to reimagine the internal triggers. When we feel stress, anxiety, uncertainty, fatigue, loneliness, we can reimagine those internal triggers so that they lead us towards helpful traction as opposed to harmful distraction. Mm -hmm. The next part is about reimagining the task, uh, that it turns out that there's a way to, in the words of I Dr. Ian Bogos, he tells us we can play anything, that some of the advice out there about how we can make a task fun actually really backfires, like the Mary Poppins add a spoonful of sugar to mm -hmm. stuff, yep. right? Gamification, add rewards, give yourself a treat. Turns out that stuff actually really can backfire. Mm. And so what we need to do instead is not use what we call extrinsic motivation, but to find the intrinsic motivation. And so Bogos tells us, and I summarize some of the techniques that we can use to make a task not fun. It doesn't need to be enjoyable. It just needs to be playful. Mm. So what does that mean? How can something be playful and not fun? Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Turns out enjoyment is not necessary. Mm-hmm. What it needs to do is capture our attention long enough to help us complete the task. So we talk about in the book how uh, you can actually l- learn how to enjoy really mundane things like mm-hmm. cutting your grass or uh, you know doing your taxes. It turns out there's a way to find methods, not necessarily to enjoy them, but to make them captivating enough mm-hmm. to help us get through them. Like for cutting the grass, you mentioned like beating your time, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So the two tactics we use is we focus more intensely on the task and we add constraints. We add some kind of variability. Like, can I beat my time? What's the most efficient pattern? Uh, mm-hmm. What's the right type of seeds that I should use in my particular backyard? Yeah. And these are all tactics that, that Bogos talks about and that I reference that we can use to learn how to play any task. But the really important mind shift is not necessarily to look for some kind of extrinsic reward. If I go to the gym and I lift weights, then I'll reward myself with a Jamba juice that has 60 uh, grams of sugar in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hooray, <laughs> you did nothing. Yeah. <laughs> right? And, and so that stuff doesn't work. What you want to do is to figure out ways to actually enjoy the task itself by learning to play the right. activity. So good. Yeah. Really good stuff. The, and something, I, I don't want to keep going back to it, but the, the weight loss, I think people, they, they can't see you. You're super fit now. Uh, how did you lose the weight, Dad? Did you use these principles for that? Definitely. I mean, this now, so I'm, I'm 41 and I'm in the best shape of my life. Uh, I, I used to be clinically obese. I always hated exercise. I would... I remember I had friends who would tell me about how they, they had a runner's high and how, oh, man, I just ran this 10K and it felt so good. And I was just like, what are you talking about? You're like from a different planet. I never liked physical activity. Yeah. And so this is the first time in my life that not only am I consistent, I actually go to the gym when I say I will, even though I used to skip all the time and never, never went consistently. I actually, for the first time, want to go. I really mm-hmm. enjoy the task. Mm-hmm. And, and that came from becoming indistractable, is using these, these techniques. Uh, one of the techniques that I use that's a little bit controversial, um, but I need to say it with a disclaimer. So I remember I told you those, those four techniques, mm-hmm. master the internal triggers, make time for traction, hack back the external triggers. The fourth technique, and this you can only use last, is preventing distraction with a pact. A pact is some kind of pre-commitment. It's a contract you make with yourself, some kind of promise. Accountability. Yeah, well, well, yeah, exactly. It can be accountability with someone else or with yourself Mm -hmm. that helps keep you on task. Now, many people jump to that first. Mm -hmm. They recruit somebody and they say, okay, no pain, no gain, make me do it. That technique can work, but it can totally backfire if you do it in the wrong order. If you don't first deal with the internal triggers, if I didn't first figure out why I was overeating, what feelings were causing me to Mm -hmm. overeat, that had to be the first step. If I didn't make time for traction, if I didn't schedule time in my day when I knew I would be in the gym, I would say, you know, oh, yeah, I'll go sometime today. Ah, come on, bullshit. That doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're not going to go to the gym sure. unless you make time for it in your day. Hacking back the external triggers, making sure that there aren't those distractions in your way. And then finally, last, 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 preventing distraction with packs. So one technique that I, I use that really did change my life when it came to my physical health, I call it the burn or burn technique. Mm-hmm. So here's how the burn or burn technique works. <laughs> Every day when I wake up, I go into my closet and I have a calendar uh, by my dresser. Mm -hmm. And on that calendar is taped a fresh, crisp $100 bill to today's date. Now, there's a shelf above that calendar and on that shelf is a Bic lighter. And every day I have a choice to make. I can either go to the gym and burn some calories or... (laughs) Burn the bill. (laughs) I have to burn the $100 bill. Now, it's been three and a half years and I've never burned the $100 bill. Wow. Why? Because when it's push comes to much. shove, yeah. right, after I've done all the other stuff, I have time scheduled for it. I've done all the other stuff in my, that, to make sure that I've used these four tactics. 
if, gosh, I, I haven't gotten to it yet, I'll do the push-ups. I'll go for a quick run. I'll, uh-huh. I'll walk around the block. Today, actually, to be honest with you, I don't even need it anymore. Uh-huh. I want to do it. Right. But when I was getting started, that promise, that commitment that I made to myself of, if I don't do it, I can't just give the money away. It has to really hurt. I have to see it go up in smoke. And people say, oh, you can't do that. That's illegal. You can't burn legal tender. I know. You don't burn <laughs> the money if you just do the work, if you just yeah. keep your promise to yourself. Yeah. That's a pre-commitment device. So that's your stick. That's a, I mean, you have a character. Well, everything is a stick, stick right? Yeah. My yeah. point the is pain that, is you're avoiding the pain. Exactly. Yeah. It, but again, that's a last resort. Don't do sure. this and say, oh, what a great idea, Nier. Thanks a lot. And jump to it. If you jump to that without doing the other three steps first, you will fail. Yeah. <laughs> you have to do the other three steps first. This is the fail safe. This is the last resort. Right. Mm-hmm. So these principles, it takes consistency. For people that are out there thinking like, do I just do these once and then it'll sink in? But like, you, how long did it take you? before, not like you don't even need to think about the $100 bill. Yeah, that's that's a great point. So, you know, it does actually eventually become something effortless. So now yeah. I actually look forward to it because I've used these techniques in concert. Going to the gym used to be miserable. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I'm, I want to uh, preach about a little bit is I think that we've, there's a little bit of a cult of habits going on these days mm-hmm. that, that kind of bugs me. That habits, uh, this language of habits, and, and I know all about habits, and I, you know, my first book was about habits. They're great. However, I don't think people understand what a habit is and is not. Uh, habits today have become shorthand for I want to do something hard, but I want it to be effortless, mm-hmm. right? I want to write a book, right. but I really want it to be easy to write. Uh, I want to get in shape, but I really don't want to have to sweat to do it. Mm-hmm. If I make it a habit, it'll be easy. Yeah. And I got news for you. That's not the case for a lot of behaviors. The definition of a habit is an impulse to do a behavior with little or no conscious thought. That's the definition of a habit. Here's the problem with that. If you are looking to get better at something, it's gonna involve some pain, Mm -hmm. right? If if you just wanna do a walk and a walk is effortless for you, that's wonderful, okay? You can make a habit out of a behavior that's super easy to do, by definition, a behavior done with little or no conscious thought. But if you want to get better at something, right? Uh, Writing, for me, I've written two books now, countless blog posts, it's never gotten easier. It's hard freaking mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. And the problem is you say, okay, well, it's just semantics, right? What's the big deal? Call something a habit. The problem is if you think it's going to be easy and then it never gets easy, people think to themselves, oh, I must be doing something wrong. Yeah. Or that technique doesn't work. Or I'm broken. Maybe I'm lazy. There's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As opposed to what you need to do is to say, look, some behaviors can become habits. Many behaviors will never become habits. Those are what we call routines. Yeah. A routine is a sequence of actions frequently repeated. That's good. So don't expect every routine to become a habit. They won't. That's good. But of yeah. course, every habit first needs to start out as a yeah. routine. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the, the great American cyclist, Greg LeMond, used to always say, it never gets easier. You just go faster. Mm. Mm. And yeah. I always remember that because it's, it's, it, it, no matter how much you do something, no matter how much it becomes built into your DNA of doing, of, of working, you may get better at it, but it doesn't get easier. Yeah, yeah. If you want to get better at it, I would also argue that, look, for a lot of people, if they just consistently took a walk, Mm -hmm. right? A habit of, hey, can you crank out couple mile walk uh, around your neighborhood, that'd be fantastic. So you don't have to necessarily, we don't all have to be- Progressive. uh, Yeah, Yeah. we don't have to be professional cyclists, Mm -hmm. that's okay. But if if you are doing a task that is going to be hard, you have to learn how to, what, what the Marines say, love the suck, right? right? You have to <laughs> learn how to suck, reimagine yeah. that, that discomfort mm-hmm. in a healthier way. That was a fascinating conversation with Nir Ayal. I mean, I, I have thought a lot about distraction. I think just like most of us, I'm an easily distractible person, 
But before reading his book, I hadn't really thought about the internal triggers. And yeah. I thought that was really interesting because it really dives into psychology and makes yeah. you think about, okay, well, what are the what are the factors that are pushing me towards distraction? And they're not that different from a lot of the factors that lead to our habitual addiction. Do yeah. You? And we so much so blame and shame uh, with these things versus getting to the root cause and dealing with the discomfort of why we're going to the different technology or if it's food or, you mm-hmm. know, a, any other addiction. Yeah. Uh, it's really a smart conversation, very well-researched book, but it's easy to understand. Yeah, and too. a lot of a lot of great, simple tools, things that we can put into action that are, I love that he's kind of like goes away from the typical self-help, yeah. um, digital detox, right. going, you know, abstinence, but rather saying, oh, well, obviously technology is here to stay. It's going to become more embedded in our lives. So how do we have a healthier relationship with technology? Mm-hmm. Um, so for more on Nir Ayal and his work, check him out at his website, Near and Far. That's N-I-R-A-N-D-F-A-R.com. And make sure you get a copy of his new book, Indistractable. It's out now. Hey, guys, it's Seamus Mullen here. This time, I have a little favor to ask of you. We know that somewhere in the world, someone downloaded this podcast, but we don't know anything about you. So if you have two minutes, and it really does only take two minutes, help us make the Goop Fellows podcast an even better experience for you by telling us more about yourself. Go to listenerq, that's L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R-Q dot com slash goopfellas, G-O-O-P-F-E-L-L-A-S, and take the short survey. Like I said, it just takes two minutes, and then you can get back to listening to Goopfellas because we've got some great more guests lined up. You can also give us direct feedback on the show. Tell us what you're enjoying, what you'd like to see more of. We'd love to know. Plus, as a thank you, you'll be entered into a drawing for a $100 Amazon gift certificate. Two minutes. That's it. Head to listenerq.com slash goopfellas. That's L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R-Q dot com slash goopfellas, G-O-O-P-F-E-L-L-A-S. That's it for today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Will and I would love to know what you think about Goop Fellas. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit subscribe and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to goop.com slash goopfellas. And we hope you'll be here again next Wednesday. Talk soon.